Hello, and welcome to another Coffee in the Cloud with Comedians without Tom Capone, who I guess now is my former podcast partner. So we may be changing the name of the podcast simply because I don't drink coffee, so I can name it anything I want. Today, we have an extra special guest, Brian Fischler, who's a stand-up comedian who is blind and runs Laugh for Sight, which is an annual comedy benefit for vision. And... I've been yeah. in the show. I've been in the show once. I hope to be in it again, uh, but I don't know when the next one's going to be. Usually, do that in New York at Gotham Comedy Club in November, right? That's correct. Uh, late October, early November. This past year, two thousand twenty, I guess, would have been our fifteenth benefit at Gotham Comedy Club. And a little uh, known trivia: I don't know if you know. The very first laugh for Sonny was the very first comedy show at Gotham on 23rd Street when they moved from 22nd to 23rd. I guess they figured if that show worked for the blind people, they'd keep the new space, that sort of thing. And they've been there for 15 years, so I guess it's working for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's working for them and everything. So, yeah, we've been this, like I said, would have been our 15th year. um, But with what's going on in the world and everything, it. Obviously, Gotham not being opened was the single biggest thing, but um, you know we're hopeful to come back in October of 2021 if things are back to normal and everything. Oh so. God, I hope so. Are you? And you've also done a couple in California. Was that at the Hollywood Improv? Yeah, at the Hollywood Improv, we've done. Uh, like I said, it's been 14 in New York, four at the Improv in Hollywood, and one in South Beach at the Ritz Carlton South Beach, which was an absolute debacle. Had my mom not bust people in from uh, the Lake Worth, <laughs> Boynton Beach area, that show would have been a disaster. Dealing with the Ritz-Carlton was not fun. And it's kind of the reason we never went back to South Beach and everything. But it was cool. They gave us all, you know, like a free week stay at the Ritz-Carlton. We put on a benefit show. Rich Voss and Bonnie McFarland flew down. Uh, Jim Brewer was supposed to fly down, actually. That benefit was in the year 2010. And Brewer was supposed to fly down, but he had some family stuff that popped up. So it was a great lineup. It just was not marketed well. You know, hotels don't exactly do the greatest job of marketing benefits, even though putting on the benefit there was their idea. So that that was kind of weird. So I guess, what, we've had 14, 18, 19. Yeah, this would have been our 20th benefit 15 years, though, in New York. and So I, I know this. When you're dealing with a comedy club or a theater, they know how to market shows. And they know how to set up, a, usually know how to set up a room for comedy. I imagine you had to go through with the event planner and explain, you know, this is where you got to put the seats. This is where you got to put lights and a stage. And Well, it was pretty funny because they had all these great concepts. You know, they were going to dress this ballroom up like a comedy club. And they had all these plans. And then we started noticing that we're like, okay, well, how do people get tickets? Now, and they're like, oh, well, they just call this phone number and they can get them. I'm like, yeah, but that's a employee at the Ritz-Carlton South Beach personal work line. There's nothing that mentions the benefit on the voicemail. There's nothing at all. And they're like, well, that's everything was against Ritz-Carlton standards. And it's hard to put on a benefit when they're fighting you tooth and nail. And then they ended up not even bothering to dress up uh, the ballroom as they had planned. It, it, the thing was just a complete debacle and everything. But like I said, it, it did not stink, though, getting a free week 
at the Ritz Carlton to hang out on South Beach and everything. So well, they told you you were at the Ritz Carlton. You were actually in a Motel Six. I have photographic proof, and uh, a buddy of mine that I used to run the benefit with was there. So, you know, I'm not a stupid blind guy. So, uh, <laughs> although sometimes I don't know where I am, but that's probably alcohol. Yeah, I was going to say that's from drinking. That's nothing to do with blind. which. I've only drank like seven times since March, so it's what. I, yeah, I because I don't like to drink alone, and I live alone. You know, you might see my guide dog walking around here in the back. Although right now he, he just went underneath the desk. I don't get any enjoyment from drinking alone. I have to be in a social atmosphere. So I did pop in. I know you know Dillinger's. Yeah. I did pop in, sit outside, and have a couple drinks. And I was, you know, how I like to drink. I can handle my liquor until I can't. I was like plowed after three drinks because my liver's not used to drinking anymore. Yeah, I've seen you, you know, basically dump down seven or eight Jack and Cokes or something and then be totally the same. Yeah. Whereas I have there are times I can have literally a half a drink and I'm fine, but I sound like I'm drunk. Yeah. Yeah, now that now it was like three drinks, and then I got home and I was, you know, making phone calls to people I hadn't spoke to in a while. People out in California, it was only like eight o'clock at night, and people, a couple of close friends were like, next day they're like, "Hey, how you feeling today?" And everything. I'm like, I only had three drinks, and uh, nobody believed you. No, no, it, it it's hitting me harder and everything. So at least now, when we get back to normal, and I go out, the bar bills will go down because uh, it's it's not <laughs> cheap drinking and everything. But it's funny though that you mentioned your former podcast host because, as you know, I do a show called That Real Blind Tech Show, and up until September, we were just that blind tech show until my former podcast host ghosted me and just vanished after doing his show for three years. Still didn't even know what happened, but we uh, launched it on our own. And in fact, we just recorded our latest episode last night. So it's, I guess that's common in the podcast world that hosts just vanish for some reason. I know he he's responded. I've always, I've noticed that when I send him an email with more than one point, he tends to only respond to the first thing on it. So I sent him an email this morning saying, you know, I know it's contrary to, to being ghosted, but I'd love to know what happened. And by the way, I need, you know, there's two podcasts that he has recorded that I don't have copies of that he mm. hasn't posted on his website. And it kind of sucks that two comedians have spent, you know, they spent a half hour, 40 minutes of their time. And then the yes episodes have disappeared. So I'm waiting for him to send me copies. Those were your episodes with Seinfeld and Jay Leno, right? That haven't come out yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's frustrating you know we've got uh you know the old podcast feed that's still up and we've got a lot of great interviews we did there and i've been debating if i want to port them over and that sort of thing because i controlled the facebook the twitter and the email and we've just you know simply changed everything with the title but uh yeah it's it's, it's just a pain in the butt yeah i've got to find out if you can easily change the title and, of the podcast and, uh, how that works I don't know if you could hear that. Hopefully that's not coming through on the recording. I've, heard, got, heard a ding. I, I've got a contact at Verizon Media that was just texting me uh, and everything. I was hoping to shut it up. I thought I had turned it all off and 
obviously, you know, I use voiceover technology to, you know, that's the one thing that a lot of people don't understand about blind people. They think we use all these special devices. I use Apple devices for everything because they have great, you know, voiceover technology built into them. And I'm talking to you on a regular iMac and everything. My iPhone's sitting over here. And I think I'm down to only one device that's specific to blind people. And that's some kind of labeler that I use with my files and everything. Oh, I thought that you were going to say that's the couch behind the, the what? The couch behind me? Couch. Yeah. Well, yeah. the guide dog also, I guess, could be considered a uh, blind specific product or, or a person. Well, adapted for the you know, adapted. Especially. Adapted and modified and everything. He's, he's hiding out on, in his little uh, fort underneath the desk here and everything. So. Well, I've met Wesley on a couple of occasions. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's a little bit of a, of a lunatic. I call him the loon and everything because he likes to he likes to drool and sneeze on me, which I don't particularly care for. Well, yeah, I, I'm impressed that when you listen to your screen readers, how fast they go that I can't follow them because they're talking about 500 words a minute. Yeah. And, you know, it's when I first started using and I do apologize, they just started scraping at my floor. And uh, I don't know if that's going to come through. I don't but, hear it, but feel free to yell at them anyway. Yeah. So they're doing work, I guess, downstairs. But uh, no, I mean, that was the thing when I first got into voiceover technology is I was like freaked out that everybody was when I was out in the balcony, be hearing everything that I was doing. And then I found out from people like you and other people that we in the blindness community, we hear things faster. I don't know what it is. So my voiceover speech, like regular sighted people can only catch like every third or fourth word. Of course, we've now gotten to the point where we do have something that we in the blindness community call voiceover common courtesy, where when we're out and about, we like to use an earbud because we have learned most of the sighted public can't stand the sound of those talking voices and everything. And well, I you know what it's like? It's like hearing half of a conversation Mm -hmm. or a conversation in a foreign language, you feel like you're left out. Even if it's none of your business, you feel like you're left out. Well, that's me when I go, you know, because I'll go out to a bar to have a few drinks pre-pandemic and I'd be sitting at the bar and you don't mean to eavesdrop, but I could just hear things, you know, and I could, I don't know what it is. You just start listening and you're like, oh, I wish I could kind of talk to them. That's an interesting conversation. Or you're like, wow, those people are really freaking stupid. <laughs> They're, so, you know, you, you guys probably call it, uh, what do you call it when you, when you watch people, people watching, I guess I do people listening. Yeah. So. yeah so. so, so what, I've been doing an occasional Zoom show, and when it was warmer, I did some outdoor shows. Have you been able to do anything since the mess started? Uh, you know, I'm still working, you know, some web accessibility work. You know, I do that, and I've, I've done some teaching. I also teach uh, voiceover technology to other blind peeps out there. It's all obviously been done over phone calls or Zoom. I have not done any comedy. I was approached to do a video series by a company. And I just didn't feel that my comedy would be that well received necessarily over video. I mean, I really thrive on the when other comics that are much more successful than me at first were not being well received with online comedy. I said, yeah, maybe I should pass on that. So I ended up passing. I also didn't like the way they wanted to produce the video series. So I ended up passing on that. But no, work has greatly slowed down. And I guess I'm just fortunate that I do have some work coming in and everything. And we're doing our podcast and everything. And, you know, as you know, a lot of television shows and movies nowadays have audio description where the best way to describe that is it's kind of like 
watching a movie but listening to an audio book, you know, where it describes. So I just finished season two, uh, three of Cobra Kai. Absolutely loved it. They did a phenomenal job with the audio description. I've got millions of movies. I never, I don't understand people that get bored. I can never run out of things to do. I, I, I learned uh, to use Windows 10 in a PC because I'm a Mac guy. I'm now learning Spanish with Duolingo. I'm learning audio editing because I don't edit our podcast, but hopefully soon I will. So I've been quite productive outside of the pandemic and the fear of catching this disease because I've become a total germaphobe. This is a dream life for me. I never have to leave the apartment. You know, I have a friend who's a lawyer in South Florida, and he said he gave up the lease on his office Mm -hmm. and he works from home and three of his four kids are back home. So he's got most of his family together. And he basically, he eats well, he drinks well. He's got a well-stocked wine cellar. He's got, you know, they make mixed drinks. He said, it's almost, except for the few hours a day he works, it's like being on vacation for him. A lot of people say that. I was just, uh, you know what CES is, Consumer Electronics Show? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I was invited to attend uh, by a colleague. So I was at that all this week, virtually, obviously. And I was in a session where Accenture recently conducted a survey that, they say 65% of all employees want to continue working from home. And I've done a lot of my work over the years from home, obviously not stand-up comedy and stuff, but the other work that I do, you know, writing, that sort of stuff and training. And once you get used to not turning the TV on during the daytime, or you learn to get, it took a couple of years of, you know, letting the entertainment distractions go by the wayside. But once you get used to it and you get into a routine, it's fantastic. You have to have a little self-discipline. But I think a lot of people in the American working public and global working public are learning that they can do an awful lot from home and everything. And uh, it's amazing how many companies, I mean, look at us here in New York, all those business corporate buildings, I heard like 30% of them could eventually be moved into housing. Yeah, well, I think what happens is some companies will say, you know, you used to have an office or a desk, and now if you're coming in only two days a week, they only need two-fifths of the desk since it's almost everything is electronic. It's not like you need your own desk with drawers. You just come in, sit down at an empty desk, plug your computer in, and, and hit some buttons on a phone so that your phone calls get forwarded to that desk. Yeah. You know, I think the what's been going to be missing is sort of the institutional knowledge. Like, you go to the office... And you talk to people in the hallway and they tell you what they're working on. Or in my case, when I used to be a banker, a lot of times I'd go into my boss's office, he or she would be on the phone, on a speakerphone and wave me in. And then I'd learn by listening to the conversation or alternatively, I'd be part of the conversation just because I was there. And I'd say, wait a minute, stop. You can't do that. Or you're doing that wrong. Or here's a better way. And we lose all of that. Yeah, I mean, the camaraderie of the workforce is going to be killed, obviously. The water cooler talk. I, before I went blind, I worked in Hollywood. I worked on Wall Street. I was not a trader. I was an executive headhunter. So, you know, you have that human interaction, which people are really going to miss out on. But here's my prediction. If a large percentage of the workforce continues to work from home and we get past this pandemic where life goes back to somewhat normal, I am predicting that live in-person entertainment is going to have a boom that we haven't seen in like 40 or 50 years. Because think about it. If a large percentage of the working population is continuing to work from home, they're going to want to get out a lot more and go to more events and everything. What do you think about that? 
I think that is absolutely true. I also think what that means is going to be more comedy clubs in the suburbs because if you don't have yeah. everybody working in Manhattan, they're not going to go to Gotham after work. But I don't know. How many comedy clubs are going to, I mean, what do we, how many comedy clubs I, I, do you think will even reopen in Manhattan? I, I well, mean, I'm sure. Here's something I discovered. Uh, the, the pandemic uh, paycheck protection money that companies got is public and you can go to the S I think it's the SBA website and you can mm -hmm. see how much people got. So I typed in comedy in the name of a company and then New York, and I could see how much relief money the comedy clubs got. I mean, you think mm -hmm. about it, their payrolls aren't that high because it's basically tip based. Yeah. It's managers and wait staff. So it's their payrolls aren't that high, but you know, the owner is on the payroll. Maybe the owner's spouse is on the payroll. Mm -hmm. And so they're getting a lot of money for the government. If it goes to payroll, those loans are forgiven. So I don't know how much the comedy clubs are actually hurting. But when gotcha. I posted that on Facebook yesterday, somebody wrote something like, holy shit, the comedy store. And I didn't know how much they got because they were in, Cal they're in California. Mm -hmm. So I didn't. So I put in the comedy store and they got almost $900,000. Wow. So, well, what do you think the comedy store brings in? And it's funny because I was staying at the hotel right across the street from the comedy store. The few days where everything got real serious in this country, March, I, I was there March. I was supposed to be at the improv in California. The, I think it was like March 13th and 14th. And I was supposed to be in LA till the 18th of March. I ended up panicking and flying back to new york on march 15th but it was weird because my buddy and i i had a buddy out there with me and when he left california to come back to new york that's when i decided you know might not be the best time you know me i'm a pretty independent blind guy but it, i i just didn't feel comfortable not being out there with a good friend and it was the friday night uh right so 15th was a sunday it was march 13th and we were supposed to be meeting friends of mine at the comedy store they had that great outdoor bar out front and we were getting ready to get in a, a Uber to go downtown to meet a buddy of his. We got invited to a private scotch tasting. And I said to him, I like, hey, how crowded is the bar at the comedy store? And like, we, he just looked real quick and he's, I don't think anybody's out there. I'm like, that's impossible. I go, what? The, it was eight o'clock already. And as I went to check my phone to, to check, you know, what was going on. And, and all of a sudden, that's when all the emails started coming in from the comedy club bookers canceled, canceled. And that's. That's when I started to freak out a little. And it's like, okay, maybe I should get out of California and everything. But Well, I'm, you know, I'm worried about the opposite because there's comics. I mean, the comedy clubs in New York are canceled, but like in Atlanta, they're not. And yeah. it's despite the precautions, it's still risky, you know, traveling through an airport and all that stuff. And I've said, I don't want to become the funniest guy in America because everybody else died. And I worry about that. I think are people going to the shows in Atlanta? I mean, that's just insane to think people are doing that. Yeah, people people want to get out. Restaurants in New York, New York City, the restaurants are closed, but in yeah. the suburbs they're not. Wasn't it? Was it D.L. Hughley that collapsed on stage in yeah, Atlanta? I yeah, think that's who it was. That was like was six it? months ago. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard from him since then. So is he okay? I I don't know. He hasn't called me either. Yeah, yeah. We we, we tried getting him for laugh for sight one year. He never got his people never got back to us. I think and everything. But yeah, uh, I met. I imagine comics of a certain level probably get a lot of requests. 
Oh gosh, yeah. And and you know, we've you know, obviously we've been very fortunate. We've had over a hundred entertainers, including yourself. Every one of them donate their time to Laugh for Sight. Now we're at a point where a hundred percent of everything raised gets donated to retinal degenerative eye disease research, as well as one of the guide dog uh, foundations, Guiding Eyes for the Blind. And we've had everybody, you know, just to name a few, Sarah Silverman, Jerry Seinfeld, obviously Robert Klein, uh, 13 times, Stephen Wright, Jim Gaffigan, uh, you know, the list goes on and on, Alonzo Bowden, um, Pablo Francisco, Russell Peters, you know, it's a who's who, Sean Eli. Um, so... <laughs> Brian Sean Eli is a snob. He did it only once. He was such a diva. He made us take out all the red and green M&Ms, not just the red, but the greens is too. But we've only ever had one comedian ask like if there were, you know, if you get, well, what are you going to pay me? And we, it was funny, we, you know, back in LA, it's so such a celebrity um, conscious culture out there. So we were produ- produ- we were approaching different celebrities to be our host, and this certain celebrity we approached, and they asked, uh, like they their representatives emailed me back, is there any kind of honorarium involved with hosting? And I was ninety percent sure I knew what honorarium meant, but I remember I googled it to look it up. Met sure enough, it meant you know receiving Money. a payment, you know. Eva Longoria was who wanted to be paid. Uh, we were talking to Eva many, many years ago. And I'm like, really? Eva Longoria needs money from us. But I, you know, when you're approached by several different organizations, you know, it could have been their way, not that she needed or wanted the money. Yeah, just to narrow it down. Out. Yeah, yeah. To narrow it down. And we ended up going with Jenna Elfman, who ended up hosting our benefits several times out there. And she's always been fantastic and everything uh, from Dharma and Greg. And she's on that. I think she was on. I don't know if she's still on it because I've never seen the show. But I know most recently she was on a couple seasons of The Walking Dead and everything. Uh, I don't know. But do you you like having celebrity hosts instead of comedian hosts? In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Are they, are they a draw? A little, but, you know, them tweeting about it gives you, because it's such a celebrity-driven culture out there, although the first year in L.A., which was 2010, uh, you know, at the time, I don't know if this still stands still, the, uh, what was it, the, uh, I forget what, the, uh, the financial guy at the Improv told us that it was their most successful financial night they ever had. I mean, we... We ended up doing, it was like every no of comedy. I mean, we had such a massive lineup. We had Sarah Silverman, Kevin Nealon, Kevin Pollack, Christopher Titus, Alonzo Bowden. And Russell Peters pulls up in his Porsche and he's like, hey man, heard what you guys were doing here. Mind if I do a spot? Who the hell am I to say no? I mean, so it's just this monster lineup. The show ran three hours, which you never want to do, but it was a great success. And people told me that, you know, 80, 90% of the audience stayed for the full three hours and everything. So... Yeah, that was, and that year we didn't have a celebrity host, but the years after that, we always went with the celebrity host and and maybe it didn't help as much as I thought it did, but it did give us a little cachet and everything. You know, New York, we've kind of merged with the, um, you know, sports talk radio, which is such a big thing here. And now we have my good buddy, Brian McCarthy, who, you know, you probably know from the comedy world and writing and he's low vision. So it just makes more sense to have Brian host the shows here in New York. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm just wondering, in terms of the quality of the show, whether having a comedian as the MC is a bigger deal than having somebody who doesn't have those skills. 
it depends on the individual. You know, I remember the first time we, uh, gosh, it was probably 2006 or no, seven or eight. And we, I remember we had hired a PR firm, which I'm sure they're out of business now because they were terrible. And there's a huge difference between a PR firm and a PR firm that's used to dealing with the entertainment business. And they got all excited because they had secured us a uh, celebrity host in their words. It was a radio news anchor. I'm like, wait, I've never even heard of this person. So our idea of celebrity and their idea of celebrity was totally different and everything. So and who was it? From what, what news? I don't want to name the person. She ended up reading like off of like index cards on stage. And she, she was not a fantastic host. But, you know, it's uh, funny. I've done a lot of hosting and, if you're hosting a show with like three comics and you know them, it's really easy. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing a showcase at a comedy club and there's a dozen or maybe like two dozen amateur comics, it's actually a skill you develop that you have to remember two people's names in an intro. So you have to be able to go out and give the intro of the person, well, give the outro, say, oh, that was, you know, Pedro Smith, wasn't he great? Our next comedian, you got to remember that comedian's name and their credits. And well, you can do that I 15 times and it's it's tough. Can I tell a story that has it's not a bad word, but it, it's a sure. Uh, so one time I was doing a show at the cellar and this is years ago. And you know where the bathroom is in the cellar. It's in yeah, the, the comedy back. cellar, the comedy oh, cellar in New York. The bathroom's all the way in the back. It's in the I, 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 try, try, I don't even know if I was with a guide dog at this time. I don't think I was. I think I was still walking with the, the cane. Well, the show's going on and I didn't want to be disruptive. You know, a blind guy walking through catches people's attention. The last thing you ever want, I hate when I'm in a comedy club and comics start using me in their act and everything. It drives me bonkers, you know. But I, I got the MC and I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'm visually impaired. You know, do you mind if I just put my hand on your shoulder, walk me through, I'll hit the bathroom. You wait for me, I'll wash my hands, which <laughs> I probably didn't do back then. Nowadays, of course, I would. So I go to the bathroom and he leads me back and he goes up on stage. I was getting ready to go up next and he gets up on stage. He's like, coming to the stage right now, a very good friend of mine. And he completely blanks on my name after introducing me as a very good friend. And he then goes on to say, well, I just led him to the bathroom and you'll know what I mean. So I get up and I'm like, very first words out of my mouth were like, yeah, I kind of make it a habit not to tell anybody my first name when they got my dick in their hand. But yeah, I mean, and that was a comic that was hosting and he kind of just, you know, to, to sell your point more, completely blanked on my name and everything. And a little, little, little thing to let people in, you know, every comedian's been on late night talk shows <laughs> and plays comedy clubs all over the country uh, whenever you're at a comedy show and everything. Well, it's weird. I was, I've hosted a lot of amateur showcases mm-hmm. where it's, you know, 10 or 20 comedians doing five minutes and Sometimes I'll say, I remember hosting once at Gotham and I said to a new comic, you know, how do you want to be introduced? And she almost burst. I think she might've even burst into tears and said, I don't know what to say. And I said, it's not, yeah, I said, it's not, I guess you've never been asked before. I said, it's not a big deal. Just tell me something about yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm going to school. I said, that's all I need to know. And I went up and I said, our next comedian is such a hard worker. She's a full-time student and a comedian. And then I introduced her and she loved that. And I like, I didn't I see, I was, go, I was, I would have gone different. I would have said she's a full-time student and a hooker, you know, which tells you where my name, where my well, mind is and everything. I, I hate it when, when MCs try to be mean to be funny, but what's worse as an MC is when you ask, how do you want to be introduced? And they say, Oh, say this mean thing about me. 
And I yeah, say, no, I'm, like I'm not going to do that because then you're going to make fun of me for saying that mean thing. And I'm the bad guy. And yeah. I don't want to do that. You know, I had, and again, I'm not going to name the comic, but when I was starting out, I don't know if you remember, I very early on, I got really, uh, my first, I've had like six, 15 minutes or six, seven minutes of fame and everything. And one of the first big breaks I got was I got to open at a charity benefit. Uh, we did uh, three shows uh, with Ray Romano and uh, Kevin James. And I was really proud of that. And I had always wanted when I was starting out, I had only been doing comedy a little over a year. And I was doing a show at uh, Stand Up New York. And I wanted the MC to introduce me as he just opened for Kevin James and Ray Romano and he wouldn't do it. And he made a huge to do about it saying that I was too new at comedy. And I was like, well, it differentiates me. And it maybe my whole thought process was it makes, if the audience hears this, you know, I was just starting out nowadays. I could care less what you say. Maybe I wasn't as confident back then in what I was doing where now I could care less what you say. You know, I'm like, whatever. Yeah. And, but he was really, he wouldn't do it. He said that it was because I hadn't done comedy and that I shouldn't have gotten open for those. I'm like, well, it doesn't change the fact that I did. Right. It's not, that's, that's on them. That's not on me. Yeah. yeah. Man. But that's the insecurities of the comedy world. This was somebody that was quite successful in their own right and everything. I could tell you off air who it was. I just don't want to sell them out on air and everything. I had sort of the opposite, opposite experience when I was new and doing those shows. The MC would usually say, how do you want to be introduced? And I'd tell them and they'd scribble something down on a piece of paper. And as often as not, they'd screw it up or they couldn't read it. So I said, you know, I have a business background. There's an easy solution to this problem. I printed my intro on a tiny piece of paper. And, you know, I, you know, it's a two sentence mm. intro. So I printed about 20 of them on a piece of paper and cut out the individual strips. And when they'd say, what's your intro? I would hand it to them. And I thought ah. that was really efficient. And a comedian took me aside and he said, I know you think you're, you're doing a good thing because you, you think you're making it easier, but you're new and you kind of look like an asshole when you have a printed introduction and you've only been doing comedy for a year. That's bullshit. That's well, but I stopped doing it. You did. I mean, that, that's uh, again in the comedy world, you know, you've got the top one percenters and you know, they're the nicest. We've never had all the monster comics. We've never had any issues with any of the comics at Laugh or Sight. Then you got, you know, the middle, the upper middle level, which is still very successful. You know, some of them have had, you know, had a lot of TV exposure. It's once you get into the third rung where people kind of know them, they're performing regularly around the city, that sort of thing. I find that's where there's a lot of insecurity with some of these comics and everything. And they're threatened very easily. I mean, you know, Robert Klein, you know, who, who you know, I know quite well told me, you know, people become comedians because there's something wrong with them. They're damaged. Oh, screw him. I disagree with that. I, I don't. I, and he says, it's obvious what's wrong with me. And, you know, I got into comedy because I wasn't a big believer in therapy. Now, don't get me wrong. If you get the right therapist, therapy works for you. I just never got the right. And I was going blind. Now I'm totally blind, but comedy became my therapeutic way of dealing with things. It was like, I was walking down Broadway one time and some woman walks up to me, you know, this is with the cane. And she's like, may I pray for your eyes? And I was like, what about the rest of me? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, how do I work that into the act? You know, it was like every time something strange and insane happened, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of times I got pissed off and that sort of thing, but I was like, well, how can I work this into the act? You know, it was almost like, even though it was strange and depressing or tough to deal with, 
sometimes it did help me in, in working it into material and everything. And, and by course, the way, her prayers were for shit because you're still blind. Exactly. I mean, I've gone much blinder and everything. So how the hell do those work out for you? And well, maybe they would have fallen out of your head, but for her prayers. Yeah, that's true. So I, I didn't think about that and everything. But uh, no. So, I mean, it, it's just, you know, and we all have our different ways of, of coping and dealing with stuff and everything. And I think we could be entering, you know, once we get back to the clubs, you know, I'm, we could be entering a, another golden age of comedy and everything. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Well, I have to tell you, you know, I'll explain because you know this. When you're, in, I say the secret to comedy is 100 people in a room that holds 70. And there's a reason comedy clubs pack people in and they have low ceilings because you need the laughter to echo. Because it's not only the comedians that need to hear the laughter, but the audience needs to hear other yep. people laughing to be comfortable. And so outdoor shows are like the opposite of all of that because the laughter just dissipates. And usually they're really hard, but last year I did a bunch of outdoor shows and sometimes there are only 20 people in the audience mm -hmm. and they're spread out because they're socially distanced and, and you feel like a genius you kill. And it's not that I was any funnier in 2020 than I was in 2019, uh, probably the opposite for lack of, you know, getting on stage, but the people were so needing laughter yeah. that it made comedy so much easier. And I've done zoom shows, which you think would be harder because the audience doesn't hear laughing or, you know, somebody sneezes and then they miss a couple of words. Everybody misses a couple of words of your joke, but still we've been killing. It's, it's a different skill to do zoom shows. I think slowing down and pausing makes a bigger difference, but yeah. people really need to laugh. It's been such a stressful time for everybody. Now, if you do a comedy show like outdoors or whatever, and somebody drops dead of COVID right there on the spot, do you say you killed? <laughs> I've I never killed that. I literally killed. I've never. Jill Twist had a joke about that. She would say, um, "Somebody almost died at one of her shows, but yeah. didn't die." And she thought, "What if he did? That would be so cool because she would have she use it in her advertising. She'd be like, come see Jill Twist for the last time.'" That's 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 brilliant marketing. I, I should have come up with. I don't know if I ever told you the story. I was doing a a show at the Melrose Improv. And this is with when I was with Nash, and I'm standing at the bar. Nash is your prior dog. Nash was my prior my prior guide dog, and and um, they're like, oh great, another gay comic. No, no, he was my guide dog. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Uh, and I'm standing at the bar, you know, just waiting for the show. And and uh, some people came up, and and you could smell the alcohol on these people. I mean, they were hammered. And this woman, can I attach your guy? And finally, I was just like, you know, you're never supposed to pet a working guy. Dog. Finally, I just get him to stop. I said, sure, go ahead. You know, blah, blah, blah. So show starts and, you know, I get to, I was, I don't remember what number I get up and I'm doing my set. And at the back of the club, there's this huge commotion. I mean, just something's going on and everything. So I come off stage and I go back to the bar and I, I was very, obviously me, I'm very friendly. Eddie, the bartender, who's the best bartender in comedy. He's been at the improv for 40 years and, and everything. Just absolutely love Eddie. And he's like, Brian, you're not going to believe what happened. I was like, what the hell was going on back there? And they're like, remember that couple that kept, had to pet the dog. And I'm like, you're like, obviously they were so drunk that the lady did not remember. She was highly allergic to dogs because it looked <laughs> like Mike Tyson had punched her in the face. Her eye blew up so big. They had to have an ambulance come to the club and take her to the hospital in wow. the middle of my set. So 
I almost killed Jernus. <laughs> I mean, maybe I didn't. Who knows what happened to that woman and everything? But how that was one of the wildest things that there's been a lot of wild and bizarre. Oh, she's things. now first lady of the United States. Yes. Well, yeah. It, I guess you have to be that stupid. Uh, forget that you're allergic to dogs or to marry the uh, asshole in chief. <laughs> oh, I had a, I had a comedian once say to me, "I want you." She said, "I want you to give me a mean introduction." I'm like. No. And she said, just think, I don't care what it is. Just think of something mean to say about me. I'm like, I don't want to do it. And she said, yeah, please do it. And so when I went up, I said, our next comedian hopes to be the fourth Mrs. Donald Trump. Like, that was as mean as I would get. See, I, I, my, my mind was already racing about all the mean things I could say and everything. And uh, yeah, no, so that makes sense. Call her a whore I, or something. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And then, of course, as the host and the MC, you know, I don't think I've ever hosted. I've been offered host and MC gigs, but I've turned them down because just for me to get on the stage and, and yeah, it was funny when I started out and I might miss putting my hand out through the microphone and people were like, oh, you should go up there with your back to the audience. I'm like, why? I'm, I'm not right. I'm not retarded. I, you know, I know we're not supposed to use that word anymore, but I'm blind. So I'm totally allowed to use that word. I'm like, I obviously am smart enough to know which way the audience is. Although if you turn me around like 15 times, you know, maybe I might not then know which way the audience. Well, no, you would still remember that like at Broadway, when you go up onto the stage, you have to make a right turn. Yeah. Still the same and, thing. And the only stage I've ever come close to falling off was Caroline's and that I took a step backwards. It's such oh, a tiny stage with that curtain. There's curtain nothing there, back there. Yeah. 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 That was the only stage. And, you know, when I started out, they said, you know, I, I used to walk around a lot on stage with the cane. And <laughs> people were like, you know, I think the audience thinks you're going to fall off the stage at times. And, and you know, now I'm, I just get to the microphone and I just stand there and everything. Of course, it would be weird walking around the stage with the dog and everything. But Yeah, because um, the dog doesn't know where you want to go. He might think, oh, we're done. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be like, yeah, what the heck's this? And uh, yeah, the funniest, though, is that, you know, obviously at Laugh for Sight, there's a ton of people in the audience that I know and that sort of thing, family, friends and everything that come out to support the cause. So I remember one year Nash like start was he was really paying attention to, to a woman in the front row. So I started asking the, I'm like, Hey, is she cute? You know? And, and then I started to recognize the voice. I was like, Oh my God, I think I'm hitting on my cousin. <laughs> And I said, I was like, hey, if this was South Carolina, this is a regular Friday night, you know? <laughs> well, there are some states you can marry your first cousin. Pennsylvania is one of them. And the, how, why do you know that? Were you looking to marry your first cousin and you were looking for states you could do that in? Or No, I, no thank you. No, I just read it somewhere. And the reason is because the Pennsylvania Dutch, you know, they're an insular community. So they had to yep. make it legal. But apparently it's not that big a deal genetically unless there's serious diseases in your family blindness yeah uh, so I, I was gonna marry my first cousin and have kids but we we, we risked her kids being blind so we opted not to and everything but uh, it just it's just weird and everything you know um but hey, hey there's your friend stacy is running for mayor my friend Stacy is running for mayor. Stacy Pressman is running for mayor. Is she really? No yeah. wonder why she called me a few weeks ago. I have to call <laughs> her back. Is she really running for mayor? Yeah, and it's funny because I looked at her resume. I think she's running as, as an independent, which is kind oh, of Oh, yeah, I'd have to assume so and everything. But I looked, and she has you know a little bit of a community service resume. It's not like I decided to run for mayor. 
I, the only thing is, Stacy wins mayor. She's going to let cats run freely all over the city because she's a big cat person. But uh, I, I might have to reach out to her and see if she she needs a deputy communications director, and I could work on her campaign and everything. So that could be some funness and everything. But I thought it was a really funny joke with Andrew Yang running. I I don't know if you saw my Facebook post. You know, wondering if when he wins, they'll change it to New Yang City. But. Uh, <laughs> I think that was too on the nose. A lot of people are like, "Come on, Brian, you're better than that." And everything. Well, you're, that's. I think some people think of that as making fun of his ethnicity, but it's really just making fun of the fact that his name is very close to York. Yeah, yeah, that, and I also wanted to make fun of an Asian guy and everything because I'm an evil, sadistic person that's a complete yeah. racist. And I don't know if anybody's told you, but you're Asian. I am. No kidding. You learned some. Well, that way, you know, when I started out in comedy, I, you know, I, was, I used, did, did you used to do all those shows up in Harlem? I've done a couple, but I don't know which one you're referring to. I, I used to do a show with my buddy Daryl Wright up in, in Harlem a lot. And, uh, uh, oh God, Ben Morrison, oh, that guy. Uh, he's out in L.A. now with Ben and uh, Dennis Donahue, those guys. I used to do a show up in Harlem with them. And. I, I used to do a bit how I just discovered I'm white, which would absolutely kill up in Harlem and everything and everything. But uh, I think nowadays, obviously, you know, this was 15, 16 years ago. Nowadays, you have to be so much more careful, unfortunately, when talking about race and religion and everybody is just so sensitive. And I am not a fan of the cancel culture and the oversensitized way of the world that we're in right now. It's killing comedy, in my opinion. And Well, somebody told me something that they call it person first. Are you familiar with this? Mm. Where I'm not supposed to call you a blind comedian because that's putting blind before the human. And I'm supposed to say a comedian who is blind. Yeah, I've heard that for a while and everything. And uh, I, I, I like being called a blind duck but the word duck runs with something else that i you know we're trying not to use truck, on your podcast. Truck. blind truck blind truck no that's too close to trump but not, uh yeah so i mean i i just think you know i mean you look back the fact that eddie murphy came out and apologized for his comedy in the 80s is ridiculous you know and it's just i i i'm not a fan of political correctness and that sort of thing i in some ways don't get me wrong I can't say I'm not a fan of some political correctness has done a lot of good. I just think they've gone way too far uh, with it and everything. And in fact, the last laugh for sight, I had a very popular bit where I talked about words we can't use anymore and everything. And the reason we don't use them anymore yet. Why is blindness the one thing that it's still socially acceptable to use any which way you want? You know, how many musicians used, you know, blinded, blinded by the light, you know, or, you know, sports metaphors that sort of thing for some reason blindness gets a complete free pass in oh, no, black does too because you could describe things as with black as a negative in words I mean, like blacklisted yeah i guess that's another close one in everything because obviously you know you know is that a black sweatshirt you're wearing or i have no idea what color the sweatshirt i'm wearing is. it actually is black yeah probably covered but, it, but it's not a sweatshirt it's a dress well, you know, I, I do believe in cross-dressing now that I, I work from home and everything and, and letting the boys breathe down 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 below and everything. Yeah, you, know, you could you could show up in a well, I, I know a comedian who's colorblind and he I think his wife picks out his clothing because 
Otherwise, he said he could be horribly mismatched. I, I Well, most of what I own is black because I, I just like wearing all black. And you know me, I'm always wearing fedoras, you know, when I'm on stage and everything. I, I was really annoyed because I heard Justin Timberlake, not only did he steal my look with the fedoras, he stole my future ex-wife and Jessica Biel. So I was very disappointed to hear about that. And everything. Well, she'll come around. Hopefully, hopefully. But uh, yeah, I, was, I still remember what she looked like. And I've actually got one, a couple of my good friends trained, and I'm sure this is not politically correct. Basically, when I ask them what a certain actress or person looks like nowadays, they, I have them trained to compare them to a celebrity pre-2009 when I went totally <laughs> blind and everything. <laughs> they're like let me think you know so i'm sure that's not you know uh the blind organizations out there would not approve of that methodology well really i mean as long as you still remember what you know megan fox looks like i don't see a problem with that yeah yeah you know and it's you know jennifer love hewitt jennifer aniston sandra bullock and uh yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it's um, it's a way of dealing with things and everything. I've had people, which drives me nuts. You know, women that are, normally they've had a little bit too much alcohol. There would, and hopefully post pandemic this won't happen. When they're like, "Feel my face," I'm like, "I don't want to feel your face." Like, well, how do you know what I look like? I'm like, well, well I don't. You know, well, feel my face. I'm like, that does nothing for me. It gets you know? makeup all over your face. And it's normally, you know, especially during the summer, they're sweaty and it's just like, ugh, you know, and, but it's, it's, you know, Hey, no means no. If I told you, no, I'm not going to feel your face as a man, you should respect my decision. I think that's perfectly reasonable. Of course, you could also say faces don't interest me and see if they take the hint. Yeah. I should come up with something that Ryan, you know, faces don't interest me. Asses do or something. Yeah. See how, see how that's responded to and everything. And, Grab their boobs and say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were standing up when you were sitting down." Or something. Ah, yeah. Well, that that's one thing. I, I mean, one of my my most popular bits is, you know, talking about how I'm the ultimate blind boob grabber because I go out for the handshake and they come in for the hug. And now that nobody touches each other, I'm definitely never going to be able to do that bit again. I don't know whether, you know, touching handshaking will will return or whether I think we should just bow. Uh, well, it's interesting because. Uh, yeah, well, and I had um, uh, my HomePod minis. For some reason, Apple decided to send them to my old address. And luckily, uh, those were where I lived, where I had nice neighbors. And one of the neighbors reached out to me that there was a box. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm driving around. He's like, don't you live? He kind of knew where I lived. And I told him and he brought it over. And I was so thankful that he brought this package just by reflex. I put my hand out and shook his I, I wasn't even, and you know me, I've been totally... And then I came in and I washed my hands for like four hours and yeah. everything, you know. But uh, I can remember the last hand I shook. I ran into somebody I knew at Home Depot, and it was just ooh. the beginning of COVID. And they shook his hand. I'm like, that was. I I had stopped when I was in LA in March. I had already stopped shaking hands, like because I remember my buddy's friend that we went reached out to shake. I'm like, no, I'm not shaking hands. Because my buddy Brian was like, hey, he's got his hand out. I'm like, no, sorry, no offense, I'm not shaking hands. And well, no. now you, you know, you, you don't have to, somebody holds out their hand and if you don't react, they'll just put their hand back. That's all. Yeah. Or I could pull a Val Kilmer and to forgive me if I do not shake your hand, you know, <laughs> so I could be all snooty and pretentious and everything, but it, it, it is, you know, like I said, I, I've, I've sat out uh, at my neighborhood bar a couple of times and the next day I'm always like, uh, yeah, was it worth it? But 
when you're there just to be, I, I had to take the dog, you know, um, to get some shots, you know, his, his shots that he was due for. And I went to this new, it was in walking distance. I went to this new vet hospital that's over here, a veterinarian. And I go in and I'm like, oh, they're like, you're early. I'm like, you want me to wait outside? And this was a day when it was like 32 degrees. They're like, no, you're the only one here. You can wait in. Well, I, I, I go up to the window, you know, where the two secretaries are. And I'm like, I felt like Joey from Friends. I'm like, how are you doing? Because I had not had any human contact in a while. And it's like, you know, this is not a bar stool. So <laughs> I'm like, well, I just need, you know, you're the only people I've really been around in eight, nine months and everything. So, uh, you no, know, I mean, we used to have weekly happy hours on my block, you know, spread out in the street, but it got cold and now you know, the last couple of times I tried it, barely anybody showed up. So I'm waiting for yeah. a warm day. But other yeah. than that, I see my brother's family once a week because they, like me, are staying isolated. And I'm the only person they let into their house. But other than that, I've got nothing. I've had two people and my buddy Vinny came in. He's been in my apartment three times. First time to t- put my air condition in my window. Second time to box up an iMac that I traded in for this new one. Third time to take my air condition out of the window. And the only other person, you know, they had to send somebody up because there was a leak in my building. The guy I told you about the hammering that that's, that's it. Nobody else, my cleaning people, you know, I've been doing all the cleaning myself and, you know, I don't mind doing the cleaning, but when you're blind, you're going to miss things. Thank goodness. I have a Roomba that I run twice a week, which sucks up most of of the dog air and everything, but I'm looking forward to getting the cleaning people back in here eventually. Yeah. Well, I I'm thinking about once this is over hiring cleaning people just because I'm sick. I never had a cleaning person. Like more, for like a couple of months, I had a cleaning person and then I mm. gave up. But I may do that just just because I see no reason to do stuff I can outsource. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I, I don't mind cleaning. It's just when you're blind, you're going to miss things and everything. You know, it's, it's just unavoidable. And my cleaning lady always told me that outside of the dog hair, that my apartment was the cleanest apartment she ever cleaned, you know, because I've become so just anal about where everything is and just you know i can't i'm scared to death of bugs and insects so you know i don't want any of those thingies in my apartment and everything but uh, i don't even let the dishes sit overnight you know i do them every day put them it's nice having a dishwasher again because the last apartment i was in i didn't have a dishwasher but this one does so i have to say having it when i you know moved to my own place having a dishwasher and having washer and dryer is Mm -hmm. such a big deal it makes Mm -hmm. such a a nice difference i've lived in nine apartments uh the only apartment that i never had a dishwasher in was the last one that i lived in before here i haven't had laundry in my apartment god i think i only had one of my nine apartments had laundry in the apartment and now i i just send it out i've got a great service and it's it's very affordable they pick it up and in fact they, they brought it back today it's sitting in its bag and i've got to go unpack it later and everything you know and it's not called fluff and fold but i always call it fluff and fold you know and, and they just that's fantastic and just the time to schlep it everywhere and everything yeah. i'd rather pay for it and everything you know yeah so. when i lived in an apartment I, I sometimes did it in the basement most of the time i just you know visit my parents and do the laundry there and then it turned out that there was some like white powder falling from the ceiling on, on cocaine. Unfortunately, it was the opposite of cocaine. It was asbestos. Oh, and the, the landlord never told anybody what it was. Eventually, they closed the laundry room. And then when they wanted to take the building co-op, they, they the prospectus said, you know, there's asbestos in the building. And everybody was like, 
oh my god why the hell didn't you tell us you assholes yeah yeah that's uh, you get a lot of sleazy landlords and everything and um you know it's 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 i mean it it really is a lot when you have a great landlord i mean i mine now you know he never bothers me so that's all you can ask for these days as a landlord that doesn't bother you i I don't want to hear from you unless it's an emergency or something urgent and that sort of thing yeah well i I mean i expect to be treated well if i pay my rent on time and i always did yeah well you're you're an owner you own now now i'm an owner yeah yeah Yeah. and you can't see it but i have a virtual background and it's roses and it's actually roses from between my driveway and my neighbor's driveway oh okay People like the yeah. I, I well, what's my background? Just a wall, a uh, couch on a wall, and behind the couch is that a window? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wind, I guess, window shades are closed. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. I, I have a very like. This is a small office. Um, you know, it's not. And I'll tell you, thank goodness, I'm not in the apartment. I mean, this apartment's a two bedroom, so I have you know, this is like my office, and I've got a TV hanging on the wall in here. Although I, I. I only watch TV in here when the a-hole neighbors uh, are really noisy in my living room, which... And you have no moose walking around there. No, that apartment. Oh. If that apartment would have been kept well, though, supposedly it would have been, you know, because it was a decent-sized space, but the owners didn't take care of it. Yeah, they let, the a, place moose, was a, dump. They let a moose into your apartment. Um, a cat. It was a cat. Yeah, all right, it was a cat. All right. Uh, I think we're going to call it a day. Okay. I'm well, going to go... Start making pizza for dinner. Making pizza? Dude, Well, why would you bother making pizza and just not order it? Because I like what I make. And I don't – I say making pizza. I have a bread machine that mixes the dough. Oh, okay. So it's, it's not that, you know, labor-intensive. I've still yet to find a great uh, pizza place in Astoria, Queens. I, I miss oh. Ray's Pizza in Manhattan. and have you famous tried a Amadeus. bunch of them? Only about 42 of them. Have you asked any of the 500 comics who live in a story what they think? Uh, I've asked a couple. Yeah, a couple. But I've yet to find a place that I truly love for pizza. It's, it's, and we've got a ton of great food here. It's Jimmy's Pizza is the closest that I like. But, um, you know, that's, it's, it's still not as good as Famous Ray's, or, uh, Ray's Pizza, um, Famous Amadeus. Uh, well, I, I mean, I have good pizza places here where I live, but. I like making myself. Here's the thing. I used to make pizza. It was sort of a tradition and just for me because I live alone. But if I were home on a Friday night, I would make pizza. And that would mean if I were home, meaning I didn't have a date or going out with friends or a show on a Friday night. So most Fridays, I wasn't around. So it was kind of a treat like, oh, I'm home on a Friday. I'm going to make pizza. Mm. And I've been home for God knows how many Fridays in a row. So I don't make it every Friday, but some Fridays. Yeah. I do. Usually what happens is I buy a pound of mozzarella cheese and I will make pizza two weeks in a row so the cheese doesn't go bad. I, I didn't even really comprehend that it was Friday every day. To quote Bon Jovi, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Blur's Day. Every day to me just feels like Blur's Day. You know, it's, Well, for a lot of people during the pandemic, it's certainly that way. It's like, yeah. what's the difference? Football helps me realize because I'm like, okay, we got games tomorrow, we got games Sunday and everything, but the football season is, you know, in the playoffs and and rapidly winding down and, uh, you know, but uh, hopefully baseball will start on time and everything. Yeah, we'll see. I know you're not a big sports fan, but. No, I actually used to visit a friend in Massachusetts on Super Bowl weekend Mm -hmm. because driving home from there, if I left when the Super Bowl started, there was never any traffic. Yeah. Yeah. But this year, I'm obviously not going there. 
What's wrong with you? Are you a communist not watching the Super Bowl, man? What's I wrong just, with you? I've watched the Super Bowl here and there when people invited me to parties, but it just never interested me that much. Ah, ah, well, I listen to all my football on Sirius XM nowadays because they never tell you what's going on on the field uh, on the television broadcast. So thank goodness for Sirius XM and yeah. all the great sports there. Right. I guess they would have to. They don't have to tell you on the TV because most people can see it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when I was a kid, I used to listen to baseball on the radio. The Yes Network does a phenomenal job of describing what's going on, but I, I, I refuse to watch any sporting event on Fox or ESPN because it's all so visual. And I remember it was about four years ago where I just completely stopped watching anything where I was watching a Giants football game on Sunday Night Football. And they were 12 minutes into the quarter and they didn't tell you one thing that happened on the field or what the score was. And that, that was the end yeah. of watching sports on kind TV. ridiculous, yeah. Anyway, it's good to talk to you, and I hope we'll be able to get together for a drink, you know, in a couple of months when this mess is over. I hope so. I hope so, man. Thanks for having me on, and, uh, you know, definitely be well, be safe. And uh, Do you get a COVID shot faster than anybody else? Or I you... looked that up yesterday. Not uh, The blind do not. I was looking for people with disabilities. Um, I think people that are more have cerebral palsy. There's a debate about that. Did you hear the thing out in New Jersey, though? Smokers. Yeah, that is stupid as fuck. As a smoker, that's pretty stupid. Well, I'm thinking nobody can tell me I can't start smoking tomorrow just to sign up for the shot. It's really bizarre. I may have an in to get a vaccination shot because of the teaching that I do. But somebody's looking into that for me because where they work is offering. But I, I haven't been in a cab. The last cab I was in was the day I flew back to New York. So. I have to get over my fear of getting into a cab that a million strangers have been in to go get a vaccination shot. So oh, right. Unless I kind of am, you know, as soon as the pharmacy start, and I could just walk over, you know, maybe that might be the way to go. So, yeah. but well, uh, you know, I we'll think stay. once they, once they open it to, you know, everybody, they're going to, well, the they're running out already. You yeah. Know? But when they don't, the pharmacies are going to have to have a sign up system because otherwise it's just going to be a yeah. mom's team. It's going to be a mobsy. And you already heard about some mobsies. My mom has gotten her first one down in Florida. I have a couple people I know because of the industries they work in here. They've gotten theirs. And the worst re- reaction I've heard, you know, from anybody is, you know, their arm, like arm after hurts. getting a flu yeah. shot for a few days yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah, I've heard about arm sword. So. I'm hoping that I get the vaccination and it gives me my sight back. But uh, <laughs> that'd be pretty amazing. Side effect causes sight. <laughs> <laughs> How awesome would that be? You know, one could still dream. You know, what would be sucky, though, is like you get the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. Moderna, yeah, 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 exactly. And they'd be like, I'm sorry, can't give you the other vaccine you already had. Yeah, yeah, it'd just be, that's kind of luck. It's like, I'll tell you, if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Yeah. So. All right, it was good to talk to you, and I'll see you when this is all over. Sounds like a plan. Don't be a stranger. All right, bye. Take care.